gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. Now, hopefully you'll remember, hey, look at that. Woo, it works. Powerful prayer. We cast the devil out and it worked. Look at that. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, if you're around, that I, I preached from exactly the same passage of Scripture. Um, I focused in on chapter 2, and I asked you the question if you were an accomplice with Satan. And, you know, maybe it was a nasty question, I don't know. The, the point of it was to get you talking, to get you having a conversation. Were you an accomplice with Satan? Are you an accomplice with Satan? Hopefully you've had time to think about it a little bit and you, you've um, now answered it. It was a good message to preach. I enjoyed it because everyone was sitting there going like possum lights, headlights, looking straight ahead, didn't want to look to the left or the right just in case. There couldn't have been an accomplice sitting beside you or worse still, they could have been looking at you. It was, it was fun. Our theme this year is goodness. And goodness, essentially, is about transformation. It's goodness, capital G. The scripture we just read made it very clear that your own goodness isn't going to cut it. It's goodness, capital G. But our theme is goodness, and that is primarily about transformation. As we are transformed by God as individuals, that will leak out of us. And it will leak into the communities that we spend time, the places that we have influence in. I think that's why it's important that we make sure we're working for God and not against God in what he's wanting to achieve. But Ephesians is a book that's about transformation. It's a wonderful book. There's so much in here for us to learn. And sometimes I think it's really good for us just to park in a passage and ask some of the questions. Now, from time to time, I have people say to me things like, Sheridan, we need meat, you know, in the preaching. We need meat. Well, I agree, we do need meat sometimes. But what most people who ask that question fail to realize is that when you eat meat, it's quite chewy often. And it's not so easy just to swallow. And sometimes you need to chew on it a little bit. Like, I wonder what your reaction was when I asked you if you were an accomplice of Satan. You probably didn't embrace that and go, yeah, that's me. You probably had to process it a little bit and just think it through and chew on it a little bit. Because actually it's quite a meaty question and it is a question that's in the book. It's a good one for us to answer. But I think we need to ask ourselves questions like that in order for God to open us so that he can do what he wants to do in us and move us where he wants us to go. They're good questions. They're, they're, I'm not giving you the answer for it. That's not my, my purpose. But to ask the question is a good question. But this morning I want to focus on the same passage of Scripture but I want to drop down a few verses and we are going to focus on 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for doing good things, sorry, for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. There's three words in there. I would like us to look at this morning. The first is saved. The second is grace. The third is believed. 
The word saved is the word, the Greek word sozo. Can you say that? Sozo. Sozo. The word grace is the word charis. Can you say that? Charis. And the word believed is the word faith. The Greek word is pistis. Can you say that? I can't believe you said that in church. Unbelievable. I said to Jan, I'm going to say, give her and say that word, and she said, you can't do that in church. I said, yes, okay. Okay, here we go. Enough clowning around. Saved, sozoed. Ephesians 2, 2, um, 2, 5, a couple of verses before, tells us quite clearly that the word save means to bring safely. To bring safely. The word sozo is a word that's used right throughout the New Testament, and it's uh, for the word saved, and it's also used in other ways. It literally means saved, bring safely. It means to be healed or to make well. It means delivered or made whole. Isn't it really interesting that we would say often as Western believers that when I give my heart to Jesus Christ, I'm then in, in church lingo, I'm then saved, but we think of eternity. But it's so much more than eternity. The word is saved. It means made well, made whole, brought safely through. There's some great examples of it in the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God chose to save, to sozo us, through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. In other words, he wants to bring us safely through. Matthew 1.21, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will sozo, save his people from their sins. He will make them whole. He will deliver them. He will bring them safely through. Mark chapter 5.23, it's Jairus and his daughter, and she died, of course. And it says, Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come, this is Jairus, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her. Or the word is sozo her, make her whole, deliver her, bring her through safely. As disciples of Christ, we are being, we are saved and we are being saved. So we are sozoed and we are being sozoed all the way. I think of the picture of the Westpac helicopter. If somebody has an accident, it'll come swooping in. It'll save the person. Well, the people on board will save the person. And then as it flies them to the hospital, not only have they been saved, but they are being saved. It's much like that with us. You could do the same picture from a ship that is sinking. And you climb into the life raft and you have being saved. You, you are saved, sorry. As you climb into the life raft, you have been saved. But then you are being saved as long as you stay in the life raft. We are saved. We are being saved. So that's sozoed. So God saved. God saved us. He brought us. He's bringing us through safely. He's making us well. He's delivering us. He's making us whole. Make it personal. He has saved you. He's bringing you through safely. That's cool. He's bringing you through safely. He wants to make you well. He wants to see you delivered. He wants to see you whole. You are saved and you are being saved. The second word, we're going to jump straight to believe. The word there, believe, is faith. The word pistis in the, in the Greek means to believe or have belief, to have trust, to have faith. But there's an, there's an implication here that, that action will follow afterwards. 
It's not just a static state. There's an implication at the word, because I have faith, because I believe, because I believed, an action will follow. Something will follow through from that action. Philippians chapter 1 and 27 says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news, for the belief, for the trust, for the faith, for the moral connection. That is the good news. Romans 9.30 says, What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. There's two verses in John that I like, and I like them from the Amplified Translation of the Bible because it spells them out really, really clearly. The first one we probably all know, John 3.16. It says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten, that is, unique son, so that whoever believes in, that's the word, believes in, or trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. I love that. Believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on. John 11.25 says, Jesus said to her, I am myself the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in, that is, adheres to, trusts in, and relies on me, although he may die, yet he shall be alive. It's really interesting if you look down there and it says salvation is not, because we've just established that God saved you, he he brought you through, he's delivered you, he's healing you, he's bringing you safely through by his grace when you believed, when you put your trust, when you put your faith in him. We can't take any credit for that. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done. A lot of translations use the word their works. Salvation, you cannot earn God's salvation. I think this is really important in light that our theme is goodness. Because one could be fooled into the premise that as long as we do lots and lots of good stuff, it's all going to be okay with God. Things will work out okay. But this is saying quite the opposite. It's not saying don't do good stuff. It's saying the good stuff's not what saves you. Faith, belief in Jesus Christ is what connects us with God. Not doing good things. That's why it's essential to understand that goodness has a capital G. It's about expressing the goodness of God, not just about us running around busying ourselves, trying to be good to earn any brownie points or favor points with God. I'm sure it pleases him, us doing good. But it's not at the end of the day going to see us come through, see us delivered, see us healed, see us connected with him. Only faith does that. So, I'd like to spend a little bit longer on this word, the word grace. 
charis. It means a state of kindness and favor towards someone, often with a focus on a benefit given to the object. It can mean a credit or an extension. 2 Thessalonians 1.12 says, Then the name of our Lord will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3.24 says, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, that's the word grace there, with undeserved kindness or grace, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The fact sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times, for he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. There's a lot of great illustrations about what grace is. One of them is, let's imagine we have a, you have a six-year-old son. And one day you wake to the news that your son has tragically been murdered. Investigators, after a, a lengthy investigation, they find the killer. But then you've got a choice to make. You can use every means in your um, power to kill the murderer of his crime. You could do that. That's called vengeance. Or you could be content to sit back and let the legal authorities take over and execute the proper process in a fair trial and a guilty plea and the punishment, whatever, comes out, but that would be called justice. But if you should plead that the murderer is pardoned, and if you should forgive him completely, and then invite him into your home, and then adopt him as your son, that is called grace. Wow. That is called grace. Another example, an old Indian man had um, been led to the Lord by later in life by a missionary, and some of his friends said to him, what? Uh, we're questioning him about his changed life and said, well, your life has changed. Can you explain it to us? And he said, it's God's grace. And they expl said, explain God's grace to us. And he, he reached down on the ground and he found a worm. And he picked up the worm and he took the worm and he put it on a pile of leaves and brush. And then he took a match and he lit the leaves. And they smoldered away, and they smoldered away, and then they burst into flame. And as the flames came up around the leaves, they slowly worked their way in. And just as they were starting to close in on the worm, he put his hand in and pulled the worm out and gently held it in his hand. And he said, me, worm. 
great picture of grace. Some definitions of grace. My favorite is God's unmerited favor. A friend of mine says God's grace is God's empowering presence to enable us to be all and do all that he's called us to do. Donald Barnhouse said, Love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. But love that stoops down is grace. Literally, grace means, or grace is to extend favor or kindness to one who doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. It's a powerful word. One writer said this, they said, grace has a tendency to help us focus on God and his ways. It takes your eyes off the other problems, whether they're your own or someone else's. New things begin to open up to you that maybe you've never seen before. And that's the wonderful thing about grace. Grace is a beautiful thing. The New Testament uses the word grace 156 times with a special redemptive sense to it. In other words, it, with the sense of God's favor on imperfect people, you and me. God's favor, his favor toward you and I, because on our own right, we can't do anything to stack up to his, to measure up to his standards. We are sunk. But grace, when we believe, makes a difference. He offered grace to the entire human family. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing, people, uh, bringing salvation to all people. Yet, grace is conditional. We receive grace. We can reject grace. We receive grace. Calvinism, which is a, a, an extreme branch of theology, wrongly asserts that God's grace covers, is, a, is available to everybody whether they choose it or not. At the end of the day, every person will be subject to God's grace. That is an extreme. I think the Bible is very clear. It says grace for those who believe, those who receive. Jan can give me a lovely gift. It's not mine until I say thank you and take it out of her hand and it becomes mine. 2 Corinthians 6.1 While God extends grace, human beings must be willing to receive it. I think our understanding on grace, a revelation around grace for us is absolutely essential for every single one of us. I think if we have a... If we have a a revelation of grace, of the power of grace, the significance of grace, it just lights something in your soul that you, you just become alive because you realize it's a gift of God. It's not about you. It's not about what you could do. It's about the goodness of God. And I think it spurs us as disciples of Christ into doing great things. But great things don't necessarily spur us into great relationship. But it spurs us into great things. Equally, I think, one of the dangers of not understanding grace and not having a revelation of grace is that once vibrant disciples of Christ, when they were mustering along even on their own energy, they get lethargic, even dead in their faith. And that would be a sign that the revelation of grace is gone. 
because we can't, be, we can't have a, a revelation of the incredible grace of God and not somehow be passionate in our hearts and our spirits about the cause of God, about what he's doing, what he's doing in me, what he's doing through me, what he's doing in you, what he's doing through you, what he's doing in the world around us. As we understand grace, it just all comes alive. If it's not alive for you this morning, can I suggest this week you get on your face before God and say, Lord, I need a revelation of grace because there's a life in me that is missing. And a revelation of grace will bring it alive. It'll bring it alive. So we can ignore grace. It's there, but we can ignore it. 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness, of his grace, and then ignore it. He wouldn't have written that if they weren't ignoring it. We can stop relying on grace. What happens when we stop relying on grace? We go to works, we go to law. Acts 13.43 says, Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Why would they urge them to rely on the grace of God? Because we can stop relying on the grace of God. If we can put grace on, can we take grace off? Galatians 3.26 For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. Well, if I can put him on, I put my shirt on this morning, I could take it off. Yeah, I won't. Don't panic. If I put it on, I could take him off. Galatians 5, 4. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So we can fall away from grace. That kills once saved, always saved. We can fall away from grace. Now, I absolutely believe to the, to the bottom of my being that God will hold me far longer than I'll hold him. But I can fall away from grace. Billy Graham, famous evangelist, most of you probably know the name, he was driving through a small southern town and he got stopped by a police officer and given a ticket for speeding. The police officer said to him, you're going to have to go to court on this. So Billy Graham fronts up to court. He's standing in court, and the judge says to him, how do you plead? And he said, well, I plead guilty. And the judge said to him, well, your fine is $10. You have to pay $1 for every mile an hour. You are over the speed limit. It was about that time that the judge recognized who Billy Graham was, recognized that he was a famous preacher and that he was standing in front of and that he was standing in front of him, and the judge said this. He said, the, the fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill from his own wallet. He attached it to the ticket. Then he took Billy out and brought him a steak dinner. That, said Billy Graham, is how God treats repentant sinners. That is grace. That is grace. 
I, I was thinking a lot about grace as I was thinking about this, and I think, I think I have an underlying value of grace and trying to be gracious. Now, for a minute, don't confuse having a value of grace as I'm saying that I always get it right, because I don't. But I'm sure I have, as I thought about it, an underlying value of grace. And I think, and I absolutely believe that grace is the opposite of legalism. And my journey in life so far, I've seen enough legalism to see the damage I've experienced and I've observed enough legalism to know the damage that that does to people and to families. And, and it's a terrible thing. And in the most... I think I try to walk a fine line, which maybe others don't understand, and that is that I, I see the potential in people. I see the potential in you. I see the potential in us in a church, as a church and what we can achieve. And I want to see the potential released for God. I want to see the purposes of God released. I want to see the purposes of God attained. I want to see some of those things he's shown me and asked me to give my life to and invest my life into. I want to see them come about, but I don't want to tell you what to do. I think that's the fine line of grace and legalism. I can see it, but I'm not driving your life. You're driving your life. Hopefully you and God are driving your life. It's not up to me to tell you what to do, although I'll do my absolute best to guide you to release. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to dictate to you what you need to do. I pour my life into this direction that God's asked me to pour it into, the mission, the vision, the values that he's asked me to steward, which, by the way, are you and people that don't yet know Christ. I was shocked when a second-hand message came back to me the other day that someone was uh, talking with someone and they said, oh, our, our value's all about getting a campus for the community. Our, 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 our mission isn't about getting a campus for the community. Our mission is people. Our vision is people. God will put whatever tools in our hand we need to bring about what he wants with people. Don't ever get it confused. The physical is only ever a tool to achieve what God wants to achieve. People, you, those who don't yet know Christ, that's vision, that's mission, that's purpose, that's who, what God's interested in. If he wants 100 buildings to fulfill his purpose, he'll give us 100 buildings to fulfill his purpose. His purpose is people. Never get it confused. That's a side issue. But I want to release you, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're the driver. You're the driver of your world. You and God are going somewhere. And that's the grace of God too. He comes and he guides you and he goes with you. I, I notice when I'm having a conversation with the Holy Spirit, he never tells me what to do. He'll suggest He'll strongly suggest. But he never says you must because of grace. Free choice. 
Grace is a gift. It's an incredible gift. And please, 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 please don't abuse it. If I said to my kids, here's a bank account. Here's a bank account for you. It's got a million bucks in it. I think you're going to need this in the future to help you through. And then I watch them use it and access it. I would be absolutely thrilled because I've given it to them. But if they abused it, I wouldn't be impressed. Sadly, in our society, so many of us abuse grace. We abuse it. And some of the teaching about grace that is out there or possibly on here or in your home on the computer or the podcast you listen to, some of the teaching on grace is absolute rubbish. It is abusive to what God intended grace to be. Some of these teachings on hyper grace that say you can just do anything you want, it'll all work out, God's gracious, he will, absolute rubbish. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It's a pretty, it's a pretty message for my ears because I go, oh, I like that. That's not going to cost me anything. I can say it again. True. I can do anything I want. I can live any way I want to any moral code I want, and it's all okay. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that grace is an incredible gift that we are to value and we are to hold on to honor from an incredibly loving, merciful, kind God. But can I encourage you not to abuse grace? In any way. Again, definitions of grace. God's unmerited favor. God's empowering presence to enable us to be in all and do all that God's called us to do. Our lifestyle as disciples should then honor God wherever, whenever. Can I encourage you this morning to live as one who's received grace? The problem you see if we abuse grace Whilst it might tick God off, unfortunately it does tarnish his reputation. That's what bothers me more, is it tarnishes his reputation. But can I encourage us to live as ones who have received grace, to speak, if the musicians would like to come, be great, thanks, to speak as ones who have received grace, to forgive as ones who have received grace. Matthew 18, I think it is, or Matthew 21, the story of the unforgiving debtor. Uh, you know, the, the king forgived, forgave an incredible debt and then the servant went out and took this guy who owed him a few dollars to task. I put grace in that picture. You and I have been forgiven so much. Grace covers so much. How about we live as ones who forgive as though we've received grace? How about we ask forgiveness as ones who've received grace? How about we give as ones who have received grace. How about we believe as one who have received grace? We reach out as one who have received grace. We trust as ones who have received grace. And we love as ones who have received grace. Probably the greatest gift you and I will ever receive. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're in relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have been and for whatever reason you've stepped away. But the scripture is very, very clear that we see, receive grace. We are saved. We are rescued. We are brought through. We are healed. We are delivered. We are saved. We are being saved. 
by grace because we believed. And this morning, you may have not ever made a definitive response to God to say, I believe in you. I believe not only in you, but I believe you sent Jesus Christ to come to die on a cross so that I can have relationship with you. And this morning, I think while we're talking about grace, it would be the perfect time for you before God to go, God, I believe in you. I receive your grace because I believe. And it may be the first time, or you may have been quite away from God, and today you're going, look, I'm going to step up again and go again. In just a moment, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up. I'll see it, which is great. That's awesome, man. Fantastic. You're really responding to God. You're not responding to me. Is there anyone else who wants to lift their hand to God this morning? Could be the first time, may not be. But you're saying, God, today I choose. I believe. I receive your grace. Let's make sure I see your hand if you do. And I'll wait another couple of seconds. Well, the Bible tells me that when one person gets their life right with God, the angels celebrate. My interpretation is all heaven breaks into a massive party. So why don't you jump up on your feet very quickly and give this gentleman that's responded to Jesus this morning a great big hand. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm going to ask Owen to sing Covered again. And as he does that, can I encourage you this morning to take a self-assessment of your revelation of grace? Maybe this morning you, you need to stand in the presence of God as we sing the song and you need to say, Lord, I need to realign myself to your grace. Maybe this morning you need to apologize, you need to repent before God and say, God, I've taken your grace for granted. And this morning, I'm just going to take a step back and reassess and re-embrace and keep things in the right priority. But I think there's something that's very, very personal and very private. But can I encourage you to respond to Jesus this morning in your way? Respond to him. Make sure things are in line. And then take the joy and the energy and the celebration of being connected to an incredibly gracious God into the week, wherever, whenever. Let's be like Jesus. Amen. Grace, glorious grace. Grace, glorious grace. At the cross, you called it finished. Grace, wonderful grace Grace, wonderful grace At the cross of everlasting Covered I am covered 
the cross all of my past is to receive this gift and help us to run with it. Help us to walk in it. Thank you, God. I declare your blessing over your church today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. How about you give Sherrod a hand? Give God a hand. We need reminding, don't we? Thank you, God. Well, a reminder also to be purposed in our giving. 
the giving stations are on the left as you exit either of our um, exit doors. So please be purpose in our giving today. Tonight we have a 6pm service with Luke Ferber speaking. So that's going to be fantastic. And the young adults will be back all fired up after their camp and featuring at Activate Raglan. So go and have a fantastic day. Have an amazing week. Remember, road trip, Wednesday night. So if you want to sign up, go and do that. It's going to be fun, Wednesday night. Have a fantastic day.
should be good enough. Oh, uh, and can I get some of like Joe and Owen's vocals? And a little bit of keys and a little bit of guitar. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. Oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God. Uh, yep. And if I can have Owen and Tyra as well, I don't know. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, hear yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, I can hear you too. Oh, okay. Can I go up in my fallback? If that's how low. Him. Oh, there we go. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Yeah, do it. You turned it all around. Where I was hurting, now I'm rejoicing. In your love, I'm found. I have joy. Whoa. Whoa. It's good, thank you. Here we got to go. Sweet. First song. Joy that won't stop and will 
took away my pain. You took away my pain.
Some words up. Yeah, words are really small. 